You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We have a very special guest with us today, and we're going to introduce her now, Amy Lang, sexual health and parent educator. Your website is www.birdsandbeesandkids.com. Tell us about what you do. I help parents figure out how to talk to their kids about sex, love, and relationships. I help parents figure out how to talk to each other about sex, love, and relationships. I kind of stay away from the whole kid issue. Understandably. I actually stay away from the kid issue, too, because I don't actually ever work with kids except my own. I've got a 10-year-old, but I, yeah. So you don't work directly with kids. What is it that you do then in consultations? I help parents figure out – I basically help parents get over themselves so they can get on with these conversations. And so my goal is to actually put you out of work so you don't get all these (laughs) whacked out phone calls from people who are so confused about their sexuality and sex. Oh, so you want these parents to raise smarter, better kids who are more secure in their sexualities to put me out of work. But that's going to take like 20 years to burn through and by then I'll be totally ready to retire. So you have at it. I know. Um, That's my plan. Like can you see that? How beautiful that would be? So no, I can't calls. see it. I can't see one <laughs> sexual health educator working in Seattle defeating the Mormon church and the Catholic church and conservative Episcopalians and Muslims and everybody else who screws people up about their sexuality. I really can't see it. And sometimes liberal, progressive, squishy, huggy parents screw their kids up about their sexualities too. It's I not know. just big, scary religions. Oh, I know. I mean, there's a lot of screw up about it. So anyway, my hope is that I can help parents really get over themselves so they can feel more comfortable talking to their kids and at least get the party started and start having conversations and help their kids as best they can. All right. We're going to see if you can do that when we take some questions from parents who want to know what the fuck to do about their fucking kids. After fucking this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. My name is Sarah. I'm 30 years old. I've been married to my husband. We've been together nine years now, married for about five. Um, I'm calling today because... We have three children. Um, The oldest is nine and a half. And um, I'm starting to get anxious about the sex talk. Uh, I have always operated with my kids under, they will ask me things that they're wondering about or need to know, you know, when when they're ready, when it's time for them to know. Um, And she hasn't. And I feel like maybe it's time to bring the issue up um, myself. And... I don't want to screw it up. (laughs) I've listened to all your podcasts and I've heard you, um, you know, speak directly to someone's 17-year-old, but she's much younger. Um, So I don't know if there are Dan Savage-approved look-what's-happening-to-my-body books or or what. Any advice would be great. I just, I want to cultivate a good, a good mindset towards sex in all of my kids and uh, help me get started, Dan. I think it's really important that every parent out there who's thinking about talking to their kids about sex, give themselves permission to screw it up because you're going to screw it up. Oh, totally. And I also think we need to give ourselves permission to uh, do it. 
because it's our responsibility. You know, kids are going to learn where they're going to learn. And the first time – the average age kids see porn for the first time is 10. So if you got a 9-year-old, there's a good 9. chance. 9.5. She 9. 6 5. months. Right. She's got 6 months and your kid's going to be online. So it's scary for us. And a lot of that is our own crap and our own baggage. And so your job is to sort of get it together. Buck up and dive in with these conversations. And initiate it. She's oh, waiting yeah. for her daughter to ask yeah. a question that her daughter may not ever work up the nerve to ask because she doesn't want to be judged by her mom or she may feel as uncomfortable. And you have to be the grown up and you have to. Right. You have to be the grown up. This is our responsibility. So you need to start the conversation. And so the easiest thing to do with, with a kid that age is just to say, hey, heard the word sex? Know what it means? It's time. Curious about how you got onto planet Earth? Like, I can't believe this kid is in fourth grade and they've never had a conversation about sex Something. as your child is a product of sex. Right, right. So it's a lo- it seems old to some of us. For other folks, it seems really young. And so there's some confusion about when to start the conversation and all that. So with a nine-year-old, get a book. Um, on my website, there's a great book called It's So Amazing and it's really comprehensive. It's super fun. It's cartoony. Roby Harris and Michael Amberley are fabulous. And that's the way to start the conversation with a kid of any age. Is you get a book and you say, hey, here's this awesome book about how babies are made and sex and all that. Here we go. And the only mistake you can make is not having the conversation. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes in the conversation. I screwed up with my kid. Oh, yeah. I screw up with mine and I know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> I theory. thought I knew what I was doing. We did the whole talk and then one day, uh, this is becoming a very famous story because I keep telling it, retelling it because I'm mortified. T- did the whole like, this is what sex is. You have a sex advice columnist for a parent. You are going to be so well versed. And then one day he looked at me and went, you and daddy have sex for no reason. You can't make a baby. <laughs> and I had totally <laughs> omitted sex for pleasure right. from the conversation. Right. Which is 99.99999% of the sex that all people everywhere are having at any given moment, gay or not. Yeah, exactly. So with little kids, you can really kind of focus on that. Like, this is how babies are made the usual way, right? And like in your family, nobody got pregnant in your house. It was an unusual house. way. Right. It was not the usual route. This is paperwork. Right. This is how babies are made. This, <laughs> this is, is paperwork. paperwork. This yeah. is a checkbook. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in this family with this kiddo, I guess the bottom line is really to, I mean, for everybody, calm down and get over your shit. Move into this conversation, and it's not one knockdown, drag out conversation that lasts an hour and a half. Nobody wants to talk like that. We want to talk like that, <laughs> <laughs> but no parent does, and your kid doesn't want to listen to it. So short and sweet, and just get rolling, and you'll be surprised at how well it goes. And consistency over and over again, consistent conversations. Hello, Dan Savage. Um, my name is Danny, and I'm from here in Seattle. And I have kind of a broad question. Um, it mostly relates to the fact that um, I'm a teacher at a preschool, and um, I work with kids in the toddler age, and so I definitely believe in um, implementing a gender bias-free classroom approach. Um, I don't do anything that's um, gender-specific, and I, I keep it very gender-neutral and without stereotypes um, for lots of reasons that are very obvious. But um, I recently had a parent come to me and mention how they had heard some studies on that raising your child gender neutrally actually causes them or could put them at risk for having sexual identity issues as an adolescent. And I just wanted to know kind of what your take was on it or if you heard anything to that sort because um, while I find it interesting, I had never actually heard anything in that route and I, I would like to be more informed about the subject. She lost me. So the dealio is that she's a preschool teacher and she has a gender – she's like gender-neutral classroom. 
That was the fool's errand part of the call because little girls are going to mostly gravitate towards little girl toys and little boys toward boy toys. You know, shoving the little girls away from the dolls is as bad as pulling them away from the trucks, the ones who prefer the trucks. But right. you can't enforce gender neutrality. Anybody with kids knows that it's there's something innate about it. The problem in the culture has been punishing the kids who are gender nonconforming, mm-hmm. not uh, you shouldn't disallow the kids who are gender conforming from doing what they want to do or, or make them feel uncomfortable. Right. And I don't think that's what she's saying. So she's just trying to have this gender neutral um, experience for her in her preschool. And this parent came to her and said he'd seen or she'd seen some study that says when you teach gender neutrality that your kids are going to end up um, I suspect struggling with their sexual orientation down the road and orientation or identity. Ident- their gender identity, which I think is code for you're going to turn out gay. Are you making my daughter a lesbian? Exactly, and I think that I don't know what the studies are, but I just think that's bullshit because you gender is hard. It's not hardwired; it's learned. But um, in our culture, it is impossible to be gender neutral. It is impossible to be gender neutral and to raise a gender neutral kid because they're influenced by all kinds of crap. Their peers, TV, and some of it's innate. I just uh, well, was yeah, some of it is innate. Myself about monkeys. And little, the way little girl monkeys behave, the way r- yeah. little boys monkey behave. And they don't have like 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian horseshit right. weighing on them. There's just some things that are – Yeah, there's nature. There's, there's nature definitely and, nature. And, innate, and then there's variance and the problem has been punishing the variance, yes. not allowing the people who are yes. gender conforming to just do yes. what they want to yes. do. So if you're worried that your child's in a gender-neutral preschool and they're going to turn out having gender issues, it ain't the preschool. No. It's – I agree. I mean, that was a parent saying, I'm uncomfortable with this gender neutrality horseshit, and so I'm going to put it on a study and put it on my daughter and turn it into a parental concern and fear. You can't make this kid a dyke by saying, you can also play with trucks and then watch the girl run off and play with dolls anyway. Not going to happen. That kid's going to have other issues in that family. Oh, that was so judgmental. <laughs> well, that's why we, uh, I we, know. we appreciate judgment. Judge- right I know this you is do. A judgment-free zone. We want people to feel safe to be judged here. Yes. Judgment-free zone isn't exactly what I meant. We're sort of a judgment-free free zone. Here you are free from the freedom. You are free to be judged here. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> we'll be judging away. We want this to be an unsafe space for everyone who calls. Next next question. Hi, Dan. I am a huge fan of your show, and I think you might be the only one who can help me with this question. <clears throat> um, I'm seeing someone pretty exclusively well, exclusively, and we are talking about getting engaged. The issue is I'm hesitant because he wants kids and I'm not sure if I do. And my reason for not being sure, I admit, is totally selfish and I just don't know how to express it to him. We have a lot of sex and I really enjoy it. And I'm worried that that's all going to pretty much go away when we have children. I know that you have a son and you've been with your partner, your husband, uh, for a long time. And how, how do you do it? How do you have sex when you have a kid? Um, we, we don't have a very big place. I mean, I'm sure we'd get a bigger one when we have kids, but we're in a very expensive city, so it might be hard to find one where, you know, the kid is far enough away that they won't hear us going at it. And I'm a screamer. I'm pretty darn loud. Um, a lot of his former roommates when we started dating complained about that to the point where one of the places he lived, I was not allowed to ever spend the night. So what what do we do? I, I haven't honestly wanted a lot of children before, but this man does make me want them. 
how do we handle the sex thing? As I understand it, people with kids aren't allowed to have sex, and it's in fact illegal for them to have sex in many states. Yes, that's actually true. And that's what happens when you're in a long-term relationship with someone that you, you just stop having sex. It doesn't matter whether or not you have kids. So the screaming isn't an issue because you won't be fucking. No, it's just like nothing to worry about. All right, next question. No, we're just kidding. We're just being mean. Um, I love this idea that uh, you've somehow done something wrong if your children should overhear you having sex. Now, first, logistically, the first couple of years of your kid's life, it is a little difficult. You have to squeeze it in. You have to seize what opportunities you can just because an infant is a relay race. Yes. And it can be exhausting. Yeah. And it's not – for, for the person who does the birthing, if you have one of those people, oftentimes we're not so into being touched anymore with – There. Anywhere <laughs> for some of us. <laughs> um, and you know, I think the ultimate deal here is that your sex life is going to ebb and flow and you have an awesome sex life right now. That's great. And you're a screamer. You might want to work on not so much screaming because kids hearing their parents have sex can be really scary for them because they don't understand it. However, if you're a screamer from the time they are teeny weeny weeny until you're, you know – until the day you die and your kids are in your house, they're used to it and they're going to know that you're doing the deed and your mom is super loud. But you got to remember that kids do not want to know that their parents have sex. You do totally also do need to remember that for the first like 10 years of your kid's life, they sleep when they're asleep. Uh-uh. It's hard to wake yes. up a four-year-old yes. that's out. Yes, You Absolutely. run them all day. You want to fuck that night? You want to scream your head off? You take them to the park. You sit your ass down. You relax and rest up for the fucking that's coming later. And you let that kid run like a banshee then they're out. Everybody should have a closed door policy or a knock first policy. So that means that when your bedroom door is closed, you knock first. And so you have a little warning so you can get your act together if you're going to be interrupted. And I totally recommend having a script. So who's, what are you going to say when the kiddo is standing at the foot of your bed going, hey, what are you guys doing? And, you know, you're not caught out. It's smart to plan. I'm a big fan of scripting in my book, Birds and Bees and Your Kids. That's half of what it is. It's like, what, write down what you're going to say before you say it to your kid. Why not? It's not cheating. It's just smart. And this is one of those places you need to be smart. And this woman needs to realize that as you get older, as you, the, the longer you're together with your partner, you're going to have less sex anyway. Oh, yeah. So you might as well toss a kid into the mix and have an excuse. Yeah. So just wait a while before you throw a kid in the mix and have crazy sex for as long as you possibly can. And then have crazy sex after the relay race infancy stage is yeah. over. Unselfconsciously scream your fucking head off till they're about 12, 10. Yeah. Puberty is when they start ten, waking I'd up at odd ten. hours. I'd say maybe 10 just to be safe. Most kids start puberty about around 11, some sooner, some later. So good luck with that. Or a deaf kid. There's always a deaf kid. Oh, awesome. Good idea. That's a perfect idea they can adopt. Make this Valentine's Day one you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. With every order, you'll receive Adam and Eve's free romance kit. The romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something you'll both enjoy. Plus, a free adult DVD. They're also throwing in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer, good through February 14th only. Just enter offer code SAVAGE. That's SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hi, Dan. My name's Rebecca from Wisconsin. I am calling about my son, who is six and is awfully curious about what other children's genitals look like. Um, I am having the problem where he has showed his at school and tried to get other children to show theirs as well. Um, I've addressed this 
by um, telling, you know, the traditional you don't touch other people's, we don't show people that stuff. We've done books and stuff like that. I don't, I don't really want to go to the length of really punishing, punishing him for it as far as um, actually disciplinary action because I don't want him to be afraid of his body and of, of sex eventually. I don't know if that will eventually traumatize him because God knows we traumatize our children in many ways anyways. Um, but I'm just looking to see if there's a different way to tell that to him, um, to make him understand that it's not okay until you're older because he sees, you know, mommy and daddy kissing, but he knows that he's not allowed to kiss, you know, Susie down the street. Um, any advice that you could give or that your guests could give would be great. Thanks. So uh, kids at six and under are really super curious about their bodies and other people's bodies. It's developmentally normal, natural, healthy, all that cool stuff. And it's super annoying because everybody thinks that if your kid's looking at their penis, talking about their penis, looking at somebody else's, talking about somebody else's, there's some sort of sexually abusive thing that's going on. Not necessarily the case. So for your kiddo, I know you don't want to punish him and you've tried all the stuff that I would – standard stuff I would recommend. So I would just offer this one more piece of advice. You know your kid is doing this. You know your kid is looking to look at other kids' penises or vulvas or whatever. And so it's your responsibility to monitor him pretty closely. And so that means when he has playmates over, they play in a, in a common area. Or it means you set your timer for five minutes or three minutes or whatever it takes and you pop in and interrupt whatever's going on so he's not given an opportunity. You know, I think at one of your responsibilities as a parent is to instill some shame. You would. You're like making the – well, you're half the problem, Dan. <laughs> I'm Catholic. <laughs> you're look, Catholic. No a, shame. So here's what you can do. He doesn't, she doesn't want her son to be afraid of his body but I don't want – her son's peers and their parents to be afraid of her son. Right. Right. So again, a conversation with him that could look like you are old enough now to you are old enough now to keep your thing in your pants. Someday you'll be able to let it out. But right now, your penis needs to stay in your pants, and it's not okay for you to look at other kids' parts or to ask or to ask and be really firm and kind. You can be firm and kind at the same time. And it's not about saying your penis is disgusting. No. Your genitals are disgusting. No. It's just what's appropriate, inappropriate. Right. These are private parts of people's right. bodies. Adults don't walk around with their genitals hanging out of their pants for right. a reason, and kids don't right. either. And I am going to beat you to near death if you keep this up. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Threats of violence, threats really. Of that's violence. all we've got. As parents now, I you're know. not allowed. Actual violence has been removed from right. our tool chest. Right. Only threats of violence are permissible. Yeah. And if only threats are permissible, you might as well go for it. I will skin you alive right. is a popular Brilliant. one. In our I, mean, I just think like the, like the, what is it? The little toothpick under the fingernail. Under the fingernail. That's a good one. String him up. So just, you just need to sit him down. What they did to serious. John McCain in Vietnam, I can do to you. Right. So the other tactic you could take is have his teacher talk to him or the school counselor talk to him because your authority as a parent is kind of eh compared to a teacher or to another authority figure so that that's another tactic you could take but again you want to be kind about this and he's not going to be embarrassed or ashamed of his body and you're handling it really well and it's also a phase and my last thought he's getting a lot of juju out of this he's getting you all riled up he's getting everybody I was all just going to start up. eating my words and saying despite the skin him alive thing and John McCain Vietnam thing you don't want to blow it up into it's fun. It's interesting. Because if he can get a rise out of every adult on the planet yeah. just by hauling his penis out, that's some slight incentive for some kids to haul their penis yeah. out. Kids like attention no matter what flavor. 
I don't think we should end the conversation about a six-year-old's penis on the flavor okay, uh, idea all right. of the whole yes. thing. Stop. Can we? Can, can you wrap it up with some Let's other? Wrap it up with illusion? something else. Um, it's really important that your kids know their anatomically correct names for their body parts, and it's okay to use other names interchangeably. My personal favorite is Tinkle Waggle. And so you can call a kid's penis is Tinkle Waggle, but make sure he knows it's penis as well. Girls have vulvas and vaginas. Vulvas are on the outside, which you can see. It's equivalent to penis. Vaginas, they're tucked up inside. They're kind of hard to see. Dan might not know about that. What? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just don't talk about the flavor of the vulva and we'll be fine. Next question. Hi, Dan. Uh, my question is actually for Amy um, about kids and sex, I guess. Um, I have a younger cousin who is in, I guess, sixth or seventh grade, and she's female. And when she was, I guess, five, she was sexually assaulted by a friend, now an ex-friend of their family. And, like, my grandmother and my aunt and everybody are all really worried that she's going to grow up and be, you know, sexually stunted or have real problems surrounding maturity and sex and intimacy and all of this. And I don't really know, Amy, if this is your territory. Um, but I guess just any advice you can give or anything you can say about um, kids who've been sexually assaulted, how to talk to them about having a healthy sex life would be great. So sexual abuse is really, really hard to talk about and to think about, and I really appreciate you calling, and your cousin should be delighted to have you in your life. And for a girl that, and any kid that's been sexually abused at any point in their life, the most important thing is that they have therapy and they seek therapy with a therapist who's trained to work with children who've suffered sexual abuse. And Kids who get treatment recover really quickly and they go on to lead healthy, happy, normal sex lives. So I don't know if your cousin was treated. And if she wasn't, this would be a really good time for her to get involved in a therapeutic relationship. Because what that will help her do is get a real good sense of what happened to her, how it wasn't her fault, and all that important stuff. And will also help shape her sexual self. So at 12, she's in puberty. So she's beginning to have those feelings, and it may be confusing for her because of what happened before, and she might associate those good feelings of being abused, which sometimes they are good feelings of being abused, weirdly enough, with her... And your body responds positively right. to something your brain is screaming, what the fuck, what the fuck, what yeah. the fuck about. And not always screaming, what the fuck, what the fuck. Sometimes Sometimes it's like, ah, but okay, this is what happens in this in this relationship. So uh, therapy, therapy, therapy for anybody who's been sexually abused, grown up, not grown up, therapy, therapy, therapy. And it's really important that you as a member of her family and the rest of the people close to her don't treat her like she's radioactive or that she has a horn in the middle of her head. Mm-hmm. Or that if she does express some sort of sexual interest or agency that she's acting out or there's something wrong. Right. So make sure she's – so conversations with her trustworthy adults, if you're close to her, then you're going to count. And talking about what healthy relationships look like, what it's like to be in a healthy sexual relationship. Make sure she has books so she understands and has a place to go for information about sex. There's a great book called Body Drama by a woman named Nancy Red. It's definitely for kids who are 14 and older, but it's got wonderful information about being a sexually active girl. And, and it's helpful and it's smart and it's funny and she's a total rock star. 
And for someone who's 12, there's a book called It's Perfectly Normal that also talks about sexuality and kids and or teenagers and growing up and being sexual. Um, treating her like she's a regular teenager on the sex front, which means she needs all the same information everybody else does. Um, and then a little bit about, you know, she's had this experience. So And not to treat her like she's made out of sugar and she's going to melt in the rain. You know, some there are some studies that have shown that it's the adults around a child who's been abused who can make it worse, who can magnify the child's own sense of self, of having been harmed and create more yes, harm. Yes, yes, yes. Because the child then looks at himself or herself through the eyes of the pitying adults mm-hmm. who are looking at mm-hmm. this child going, you are so broken. Mm-hmm. And so you can't treat her like she's broken because you have to treat her like she's strong and she's resilient. And with the help that she needs, she'll get stronger and more resilient. Yes. But she's not a broken doll laying on the floor in pieces. And I think part of the problem is that there's so much guilt, adult guilt associated with an experience like this that the adults kind of freak out about the kid and don't do the kid any favors by their adult guilt freak out. So everybody needs help in this circumstance. So And often in this circumstance, what happens is the adults all would be more comfortable if the kid never hit puberty and never wanted to have sex ever. Exactly. And they treat that kid like that kid should never have any sexual interest or agency because they were abused. Right. And that's itself kind of abusive. Yeah. I mean, all the more that I mean, all the more agency, all the more interest, all the more help support information, all the more help learning about healthy sexuality, healthy relationships, and that sort of thing for a kid like that. Hi, Dan of the Texas at Risk Youth. Um, I have an 11-year-old son who recently had an issue at school with uh, another kid telling telling mutual friends of theirs that uh, that my son and his, his other friend, not a different Kid, not the one who said this, we're probably having sex together. And uh, I found out of it, I found out about it through my son's friend's parents, because he went home and told his parents about it. Um, we addressed it through the school, and uh, the school, I think, took appropriate action. But uh, my son seems, when I talked about it with him, he seemed really sort of nonchalant, not worried about it kind of had the attitude that the kid that said that is a jerk. He only says mean things about people and nobody likes him. Seems to be taking it with a grain of salt. So my question is, you know, is that that adequate? Should I be digging deeper with my son on that to uh, make sure that it's not affecting him more than he's saying? And then uh, my second question is, clearly, I need to make sure that my son is uh, up to speed on sex and I've I know I I started the conversation with him after this incident, and it's clear that he wasn't up to speed on on sex and and puberty and the things that are coming down the road for for him. So I would love it if you could recommend a resource that would help me talk to my son in a way that will help build a foundation for a long-term trusting relationship where we can, where I can hopefully, you know, talk to him about sex for the next, you know, five to ten to the rest of his life, hopefully. Uh, so is there a website or a book that I could use that would help me start that conversation and build that trusting foundation? I can recommend a resource. Amy Lang. Oh, that was so easy. Thanks. Okay, we're done? Yeah, well, essentially this guy, I think he did everything right. They went to the school. He reached out to his son. I wouldn't blow this up into anything. It isn't. It was just an elaborate way of a bully calling your kid a fag. Yeah. Yeah, it was bullying. 
was straight up bullying and, you know, you, what you've already done with your kid is perfect. And if he's really nonchalant about it and feels pretty good about it, and he probably feels really well supported because it was taken care of, which I think is really important for kids, especially kids who are being bullied. And, you know, that's the big buzzword these days. Um, but resources for him. Yeah, you are right. You need to start and have a really close consistent relationship with him around sexuality and one of the best books that out there is a book called What's Going On Down There and it's a book for kids who are 10 and 11 and older for boys and it talks about everything and what's happening with their bodies and it talks about birth control and pregnancy prevention and the same thing did you know that um, and SCI prevention I didn't know pregnancy could be prevented I, oh you didn't? No. Oh, God. It's me. like this whole new thing. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Soon straight people are going to be having recreational sex, too. I sex know. It's crazy. That's our thing. That's the gay thing. It's our only superpower is We'll try and, like, stay away, stay out of your world. We've got to let you have something. Speaking of the gay thing. Yeah. This bully at school called your kid a fag. Sometimes when kids pick on other kids for being fags, it's because kids have pretty decent gaydar, too. And your son might be a fag. Might not mm-hmm. be a fag. Mm-hmm. They just might have, that just might be the term of abuse, the term of art of abuse in your school. Yeah. And bullies will throw that at kids who aren't gay. But there's a possibility your kid, even at 11, Absolutely. is pre-gay child, as I've seen it called pre-gay. somewhere. But I prefer to call it gay child. Right. <laughs> um, and so you, I think, as the parent, should be cognizant of that and a little sensitive to that. I don't think you should go to your kid every night and say, you're gay, right? Tell me you're yeah. gay. It's okay if you're gay because you don't want to give them a complex yeah. – you don't want to bully him yourself. Right. But when you cover sex, you cover the birds yeah. and the bees, you need to cover the gay birds and the gay bees a little bit too. Yeah. Well, everybody needs to cover the gay birds and the gay bees a, li- bees a little bit too because you cannot tell by looking. The little bees and assless chaps and the little bees with handlebar That's mustaches right. getting together with the birds. That's right. That's right. So books are great. And then just look for teachable moments. So like if you're watching TV with him and something comes up and you're like, hey, you know, I'm noticing that those guys just like they just hooked up. They hardly know each other. Interesting. What do you think about that? You know, just kind of throw stuff out there. Try to make it sort of a normal part of your family life. He's going to like give you the old talk to the hand buddy business because it's just natural for them to do that. But your job is to persevere. Your job is to hang in there and tell him he needs to know what oral and anal sex are, so you better get that party started. Um, every kid should know before they go to middle school uh, because that's, they're going to hear about it. They're going to hear about it, and middle schoolers are doing if it. They've seen South Park. They've seen well, yeah. Anal I mean, just watch an episode of South Park. There's a whole lesson in and of itself, right? And you know, I think another really great resource for kids that are older. Son, sometimes three dimensional people have <laughs> anal sex too. It's not all. Right. Construction paper cutouts that are doing that. Exactly. And uh, Glee actually is really, really good for some talking to kids about sexual issues. A lot but of two-dimensional people on Glee as well. Yeah, yeah, two-dimensional people on Glee. And you know, and I also really like the way that um, the gay kid's dad has interacted with him. So we can all take some notes there too. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old female from California. And I am calling in response to episode 216 where you asked for calls regarding kids. Um, My husband and I are poly, and we're also burners, um, which means that we go to the Burning Man Festival every year, and we're starting to talk about having kids, which has brought up a whole bunch of questions for us. This morning, we actually got into a discussion about how to handle uh, nudity with the kids and how to handle um, the the existence of our other lovers with our children as well. Um, we, We lead a very just open and loving friendship with a lot of people in our lives, and We want to bring our kids with us to Burning Man at some point, but we're also just not really sure what is appropriate and what is crossing the line as far as letting our kids be around nudity and letting our kids see us with our lovers and just kind of wanted to get some professional opinion on where the line is. 
Here's the funny thing. I always use for shorthand my shorthand for bad, sexually inappropriate to open parents uh, mm-hmm. who make their kids uncomfortable and make their kids friends uncomfortable is, is a nudist parent. Uh, whether you're a nudist or not, yes. whether the parent is ever unclothed or not, yes. as kids we all knew we all had a friend whose parents were too open about sex with their kids and their kids' friends and it made right. us uncomfortable. Right. Too open about their own sex lives, which is where I would like to like draw the line here. You can American parents are so worried about giving their kids too much information. It is virtually impossible for us to give our kids too much information about sex, relationships and all that crap. It's impossible. We are so highly strong and stupid about this. So don't worry about that. But the TMI point is that. About your sex life. Your sex life. Your kids don't want to know. No. Do you want to know about your parents' sex life? My parents had a sex life? No, they didn't. Exactly. I don't either. Right? Yeah. No. Nobody wants to know about their parents' intimate sex life. So the polyamory thing, you want to talk about that? Why don't you explain what that is just in case people – Polyamorists are people who have many loving relationships where – it's not just an open relationship. It's not just swinging. Uh, it's where you know mom or dad or mom and dad will have a girlfriend that they have an intimate bond with, a connection with, who maybe lives with them too. Or there'll be a series of partners usually. Uh, like to say I've been to a few polyamorous weddings but never to a polyamorous third anniversary party. Right. And those connections uh, are important to mom and dad. The question is do the kids need to know – the exact nature of those connections. I personally think not so much. You can have Uncle What's But aren't you then contributing to a culture of shame around monogamy and non-monogamy, polyamory and commitment? So our children are growing up in this culture, right, where the norm is one and one. One mom and one One dad dad. who don't have sex with anybody, much less each other. other, Right. So we got one mom, one dad. That's the cultural norm. That's what's normal in our our culture. And, of course, no one's – they're not having sex, right, like you just said. So when we introduce the idea of another sexual partner, another – I have three mommies. It can be really confusing to them after they – by the time they're five or so – up to then, they're like, whatever, because kids are whatever about just about everything else on the planet. And so when it becomes apparent that their family is considerably different and, oh, yeah, Uncle Stan spends the night all the time. Where does he sleep? Oh, with mom and dad in their bed. Things start to shift up. So this is all like Amy's personal bias, right? Um, so just I want to be very clear Now, the about polyamorous that. will call. And I know. The, 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 the switchboard is lighting up now and say, you know, what about my daddy sleeps with my daddy? That's right. different. That's outside cultural norms. And nobody, you it's included, and, uh, particularly on this show, would tell a gay couple that they shouldn't have kids, no, even no, no, though no, their no, relationship no, no. violates no, all sorts of norms. I'm talking the one and one. I'm talking one, two partner family, like two mm. parent, two, two parent, two parents. And so we squeak in now for that you definition. You totally squeak in because you, you fit right in there. Well, why can't we broaden the definition of family to include mom, dad, and Uncle Stan? You can. And a California queen. You can broaden the definition. That's totally, entirely possible. And that would be normal for that child in your family. And that people do that all the time. What you're saying is you have to recognize that you're shifting some burden onto the shoulders yes. of a small child who yes. may not be prepared yes to explain uncle stan at school at school and you also you know are you closeted in poly are you telling everyone you know you're poly you know there's all these things to contend with when you have a kid so it would be very unfair if you were poly but closeted to your friends other family members co-workers but open to your kid and then you had to instruct your kid on who they were allowed to be open to not allowed to be open to so if you're not poly and fully out 
it's you shouldn't be out to your kids about it necessarily. That's my mindset. Because you're putting a, you're, you're shifting down this burden to keep mommy and daddy's secrets. secrets and secret keeping should not be happening in families. I mean, any kind of secret keeping is bad in families. So that is a whole other topic. But um, so then, how do we feel if mommy and daddy are poly and open to everybody, friends, coworkers, neighbors, everybody, and their kid, and they support their kid being similarly honest? And that's cool because there's going to that's better. I mean, that's better in my mind. That's but if you you know starting out your family as poly, as poly, you know, as a poly couple, it's going to be normal for your kids. But you but you can talk about the partner, the third or fourth or fifth partner, as best friend. Uncle, whatever he lives with us, and again we're coming back to that sex life thing. They don't want to know who you're fucking. Your kids don't want to know who you're sleeping with. They don't even know, know that you're fucking each other. Right, right. So, so allow them to expand that zone of denial to include yes. your polyamorous yes. partners. Exactly. And then when they're 15, all the truth will come tumbling right. out. Right, or maybe the kids will say, sooner. "I know what Stan was all about. I'm yeah. not an idiot. You're a screamer." Yeah, I heard. <laughs> right, right. I, I heard screaming, and there were three voices. voices in there. Right. So I mean, there are ways around it, but I think the thing you need to remember is that your kids' health and welfare is is no more numero uno. Your sex life, sadly. Needs to little maybe take a notch down to your kid. All right, we haven't even kid. touched on the issue of taking okay. kids to, to oh, yeah. Burning so let's Man. Let's move on to Burning Man. Burning Man is not for children. Bacchanal. Yeah, sex, drugs, craziness. Sand in your crack. Camping. People you don't know. People you do know. They will burden your adventure there. There's no. I mean, just don't. <laughs> Every, uh, my boyfriend and I we like to go to the International Mister Leather Contest once a year. Maybe if we have the time, because it's the world's biggest leather bar and leather bars are fun. We don't take our kid. Really? I'm so no, surprised. No, I don't hear think that. I don't think our son would appreciate the vibe. Yeah. Some when I was talking to my pal who's been several times, he described it as a giant rave. Would you take your kid to a giant rave? No. Nope. So Burning Man and children probably don't need. That's to what be grandparents missed. are for. Right. Exactly. And yeah. Exactly. That kind of stuff's for... We're going to Burning Man and you're going to Burning Grandpa. Right. No Burning Grandpa. For the weekend. For the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Hi, Dan. I just have a quick question about the fair and parenting. Uh, At what age do you think it is too young to take a child to the Folsom Street Fair? Um and I guess the, my friend and I are kind of having an argument about this because we really think that American culture uh, views sexuality as like this evil, horrible thing and that the whole country would be better off if we viewed sex as a natural and beautiful thing between consenting adults, um, you know, that's perfectly okay, uh, versus the, the idea that there's just some truly horrifying shit there that you can never unsee. Uh, and I'm not even sure it's okay for adults to go there. Uh, so we're just curious uh, as a parent uh, what you thought about that. Thank you so much. Bye. So are you familiar with the Folsom Street Fair? I'm not. I am. I have never been, but I've defended it in print um, at great length. Um, it is an annual street fair in the South Market area of San Francisco near the t- traditional home of San Francisco's leather bars, biker bars, uh, SM sex toys stores and it's basically a big leather bondage fetish sm street party where there is public uh urination bondage flogging piss drinking uh people walking around naked perfect for children practically a daycare well 
perfect for children. I mean, what an opportunity for them to learn. Well, I think if you want to make a point to the world about your comfort level and the way you think sex ought to be, you could drag a kid to this thing. But you really have to ask yourself, what kid wants to go to the Folsom Street Fair? A two-year-old who won't know what the heck's going on. And some people have brought kids to the Folsom Street Fair, young kids and strollers. I think that's wrong. And there isn't a more sex kink positive writer, blogger, commenter, podcaster on the planet than I am. And that's fucking wrong. I'm with you. You know, there's a difference between taking a kid to a gay pride parade where they will see some incidental nudity, Mm -hmm. where they will see perhaps a couple of guys in chaps on a leather float, where they can see adults being silly. Taking And that's what kids view it as. Like, oh, there are adults dressed up in funny, silly costumes who are being a little dirty and risque. Taking them to Folsom, although there's some of that funny, silly costumes, dirty and risque, you are taking them to a place where they're going to see sex acts. Yeah, no. Sorry. (laughs) I just think that that's not only like wrong for the child, it's wrong for the adults. If I was an adult who is into that kind of public sex display, baboon, red butt in the air stuff, I wouldn't. It would ruin it for me to look down between my legs while I'm getting fisted and see a kid walking down the street. It would kind of pull me out of the adult moment. I find it uh, curious. Well, so one of the things when we were listening to this call, I was thinking, he's saying, yeah, I don't think it's, you know, he said, I don't think this is really right for kids. And it's like, yeah, one thing we do is we like dismiss our intuition. His intuition was telling him this isn't right. And I think that we really need to be empowered to pay attention to that in a lot of different ways. And when it comes to sexuality and kids, for sure, if something feels off or wrong or whatever about your kid's behavior or like a situation you want to take them into, and it's not like something you can be like articulate about, like, ugh, this isn't right. But some people identify that impulse in others or or have seen it in others at times when it would be totally appropriate. Like, oh, my God, you would take your kid to a gay pride parade. Oh, my God. Right. Or or you let your kid watch an R-rated movie. Oh, my God. It's just like, well, it's not that big a deal and incidental. There were things, yeah. But there's a difference between Folsom Street Fair and a sight of one guy in leather chaps at the Pride Parade. Uh, A huge difference. Even though, you know, the revulsion of the overreacting parent to the Pride Parade Mm -hmm. may look similar to the revulsion that I'm experiencing to the idea of taking kids to the Folsom Parade, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that – my revulsion at the Folsom Street Parade idea is, is, is wrong. Right, right. It isn't. I mean, it doesn't mean anybody. Anyway, just pay attention to that. I just, my point is just like pay attention to that intuitive hit you get about stuff like this. So adult sex is not for kids. You heard it here first. It's not for kids. Talking about it, thinking, talking about it in theory. Like let's talk about oral sex for a moment, may we? Sure, so certainly. kids need to know what that is, right? They don't need to know how to do it. They're going to figure that out, but they do need to know what it is. And they don't need to know how good you are at it. Ex- oh, they really don't need to they know that. They don't need to see any videos on nope. your cell phone no. of you doing it for dad. No, 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 no. But they need to know what it is and what your value is behind it. Like, are you cool with it? Are you not? When is it appropriate? When is it not? That kind of stuff. Do we talk with our mouth full in this family or do we not? Right. Exactly. Those kinds of things. So you're not the joy of sex for your kids. So, I mean, really. You're the opposite. You're the opposite. Really. You really actually are the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you're not the joy of sex. So don't get hung up on that. But they need facts and information. They need conversations. They need to know your values. And they need a little guidance. Every once in a while, you have to take their little heads and point them away Absolutely. from something that it might not be 
time for them to see. Please, and Folsom yes. counts. Yes, as something that a little head. It is not time for them yeah. to see that. Yeah, and for some people, it's never time to see that. I'm taking you to Folsom next we'll year. Have a date. And you know what? The irony of Folsom is it's almost it's overrun by straight people now. Like the religious right always screen about all the dirty gay guys in San Francisco at Folsom, and you go yeah. and lots and lots and lots yeah, and lots we're and lots of straight people. Yeah, we're the ones who fucked up sex, not you people. You've said that before, though. I know. No, no, no. You fucked up recreational. Sex. We fucked up recreational sex. You guys sex. perfected yeah. recreational sex. We perfected Pre- recreational right. sex. Where we get in trouble is yeah. when you guys try to have recreational and we try to have procreational. It, yeah, you guys are challenging the procreational. We're bad at it. Yeah, it's just so unfair in some ways. I know. Yeah. But I'll keep inseminating my husband regardless. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy Lang. Anytime. It was a real pleasure to have you. I hope you'll come back. I will. Thank you. Uh, Amy's website, birdsandbeesandkids.com. She's a sexual health and parent educator, and she will be answering questions from parents about sexuality and their children at questionland.com between January 31st and February 13th. It's a really interesting and helpful website. And you should go there, particularly between January 31st and February 13th, when you will find the particularly helpful Amy Lang of birdsandbeesandkids.com. Thanks again. My pleasure. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future show, please give us a buzz. Upcoming special guest, Mistress Matisse, will be joining us in a week or two. So if you have any questions about BDSM or the Folsom Street Fair... And we'll get Mistress Matisse's take on whether you should be bringing kids to the Folsom Street Fair. Give us a call, 206-201-2720. Me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.